Welcome to Genuine Humans, exploring the stories behind the great marketing leaders of our time and hearing how their journeys have influenced the brands they've built. Brought to you by The Social Element, here are our hosts, Tamara Littleton, CEO and founder, and Wendy Christie, Chief People Officer. Welcome back to Genuine Humans podcast. I'm here with Wendy Christie, my co-host. Wendy, is everything going all right with you this week? Everything's going great. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm looking forward to you actually coming down from Scotland yes. to London very, very soon, which is, <laughs> which is happening uh, all this this week, which is great. Uh, so we are here today with Kate Cox, who I would describe as a friend of the agency, a friend of mine, but also Kate has worked with high growth companies, uh, including GoDaddy and Moneypenny, and is now CMO for Brightbid, which is an ad tech company that uses AI and automation to optimize paid search and Google shopping. So Kate is going to tell us all about that, but welcome Kate onto the podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. So you're working with Brightbid and that's an exciting Swedish scale up and they're, they're using AI. And I know you've got a history of working with startups and scale ups. And but so before we get on to Brightbid, would you mind kind of going backwards and just sort of saying, how the hell did you get here? <laughs> yeah, sure, no problem. So I started a very long time ago, Tamara, probably about the same time as you did <laughs> um, in the media and advertising industry. I actually got a job with a company called IDK Media first as a TV buyer. And I was really impressed that IDK, it was a team of like 15 guys who went to the pub a lot at lunchtime and <laughs> bought telly for massive. They had the BT account and the Heinz Beans account. And they took, bought massive telly accounts and they went to the pub a lot. I was really impressed that they'd hired me as the first ever woman until I actually got there. And they were like, oh, no, Kate, we've tried to hire loads of women, but no one's actually said yes. Oh, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, you're the only one who said yes. Um, so I start, I worked with them. That was really good fun. I learned the sort of basics of TV buying. And then I moved over to planning at Leah Burnett when Leah Burnett was a full service media and creative agency. I think we were the, one of the last, we were the last bastion. And I had an absolute ball working with the creative teams, the account management team. I really learned the sort of big brand advertising at Leah Burnett. We worked on McDonald's and we did some, you know, big brand, beautiful, creative. It was it was at the time that McDonald's in the UK was leading the creative globally mm-hmm. for amazing ads, really emotional storytelling. Um, so I worked in the media department there, um, had a fantastic time. Moved around a number of other media agencies. I worked at BMP. I think my claim to fame at BMP was I worked there during the dot-com boom and we just pitched every single dot-com startup that came through the door. And they had a really famous ad creative called John Webster. He was like, he uh, sadly died. And he used to let me pitch the media plan before he did the creative. And I think that was a first for BMP um, because it was .com and it was new and people were trying new things. And then I moved to Havas for years. So I was at Havas for years and we bought a little bit of kit out of the .com boom that did attribution, really early attribution in the, in the year 2000. And that just supercharged their growth in brand and performance marketing. So we were really good at performance marketing. 
and then Google launched. So this is all before Google launched, right? Yeah. It's incredible to think that, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, man. And then just totally upended what you can do with marketing. And I think it was it was a revelation for many companies, I think, that they could grow through marketing in a really scalable and forecastable way. Um, and so at, at Havas, I work with big brands like AXA and Camelot, the National Lottery, to really figure out the, the sort of balance between brand and digital and really thinking about that sort of digital piece and how, how that could scale. But I guess my move into sort of tech CMO world happened 2015 when I was approached to become the CMO of a company called Host Europe Group. Um, which I hadn't heard of, actually. It was a domain registration and web hosting group. Um, and it had a really big um, UK business called One to Three Reg. And it had built its entire business on Google search. And I, I, I kind of see Google search and, and Meta when it was performing. They're sort of like the crack cocaine of marketing. They gave, <laughs> they gave companies just really cheap ways of getting new customer acquisition. And what's more you paid for, you got the customers and then you paid the media owner. So it wasn't like TV where mm. you, um, you know, you had to pay up for, you had to manage it all and pay up front and, you know, you, you paid for it afterwards, but you had to book it all in advance and you were committed and you couldn't change anything and anything went wrong with the product. You had to pay penalties and, you know, it, it wasn't as hard as that. You just, you know, spent 500 quid, see if it worked and if it did, you spent a thousand and then you spent ten thousand. High Stewart Group was entirely built on Google search and they brought me in because they'd reached that limit that does happen in performance marketing where you, you get a bit toppy and you can't grow anymore and they needed to grow more so they needed to think of new ways of growing. And they also had bought loads of businesses and we needed to do a big really a really big customer insight project to figure out how to grow faster you know align all the websites point them at target audience do a big brand piece you know it was still all the websites were hand coded if anyone works in a tech business and knows the pain of working with a tech team (laughs) who are hand coding your website and trying to get any marketing changes through when they're (laughs) building products will know that that's terrible in a different world I was at one point uh, hand coding websites for the BBC in the middle of the night so yeah <laughs> very different industry but <laughs> yeah I know the pain move it to a CMS as soon as you can and let marketing just go and test stuff and make all that stuff happen and then you know test new ways of growing and we eventually sold to GoDaddy and that was quite a big deal. It was, I think we sold for 1.8 billion. It was the second biggest tech exit in 2016. We were just behind Skyscanner. Wow. And Skyscanner got all the press because it was a consumer brand and we were more B2B and we had quite, we had a multiple brand. So we didn't get loads of press about that, but they only won because they, uh, they bought in Chinese currency and there was a good exchange rate, I think. But we were like <laughs> 50,000 less than their, their exit. <laughs> Oh, and then I worked for GoDaddy for years, and that was a absolutely brilliant. You know, we were the boots on the ground. They they were a very US company before they bought us, and we were their European boots on the ground. Uh, I think they had five people in London running fifty markets, and then they expanded to fifteen hundred when they bought us. And that was a absolutely brilliant experience on figuring out some you know really good branding you know I love their branding yeah you know they have they have such an emotional storytelling at the heart of the GoDaddy brand you know 
want to move the world economy to small business. I mean, that's just, yeah, that's just such a powerful, sticky idea. And then my role was just bringing that to life across marketing in, you know, 150 markets. We didn't do it in 150 markets. We did it in about six really important big markets. (laughs) (laughs) But a hugely successful growth. Absolutely. Hugely successful. And then... Then after that, I moved to Moneypenny, um, you know, call answering for small businesses and enterprise. And that, I think, was my real, opened my eyes into the power of AI and how AI could really start transforming. So I moved there in 2019 and we were experimenting with voice to text and then using AI to figure out how AI could you know, give insights back to customers. You know, if you're answering loads of people's calls, what's what's a useful thing you could give back to them? And, mm-hmm. you know, how many people, is it a lead? Is it a sales lead? Is it, you know, a customer complaint? How do we how do we use AI to do that? And at the time in 2019, it was it, it was hard because the, the tools were very expensive. Now you were going to Microsoft, you were going to Amazon and you were getting very expensive tools. The cost has really come down in that whole area. So it's making a lot of these business concepts much more affordable like how do you embed AI into the product to make it better Um, and we always had this saying that it had to be better than a person right no one wanted to be that provide customer service like banks do still insurance still you're still 40 minutes on the phone in a queue you know you have to you have to be transparent you know would you like this this query answered we'll try and answer it with AI quicker or you can wait 40 minutes for a person but there's now tools that you can use in that whole space where you can give order numbers and it links it to your customer database and your knowledge base. Mm-hmm. And you can find out when your sofa's going to get delivered and you can make changes and you can do it all over voice. And that's just over the last couple of years. And so then I moved to Brightbid because they were using AI to make Google search work better. So I'd already seen how crack cocaine Google search was. <laughs> the scale up. And then they, they offered this sort of, and we can make it even better with AI. You know, we can, we can scan your competitors' websites and turn that into a keyword list. We can test, you know, put a million tests live in a month and test out 100,000 keywords and tell you what, what's working. We can, we can, no one needs to write paid search copy anymore. We'll use AI generators. So it's like your two worlds coming together. So two worlds coming together, really, which is, you know, how the importance of performance marketing for scale-ups, and then how you can make that better through AI um, was just a bit too good to turn down, uh, to, to turn down really. And it's a, you know, it's launched in April, uh, September 2020. So it's a three-year-old startup. So, you know, the energy of a startup is quite, it's quite a fun place to be. Yeah. And, you know, it was a very sales-led organisation, lots of outbound calling. And my role was, my role is to, um push inbound marketing and figure out ways of getting more engaged customers to the website, talk to people at events, produce content, do PR, do social, and just educate that audience because trust and credibility are super important when you're talking to CMOs and marketing directors. Yeah. And you need those sorts of channels to drive trust and credibility you just can't you actually can't do you can't sell a performance marketing solution just on performance marketing yet (laughs) and and not just through the power of ai yet yeah (laughs) 
So uh, thank you for that, Kate. It's been a really interesting journey so far by the sounds of it. And if you don't mind, can we go even further back in your journey and talk about what you were like as a kid and see if there's any, was any clues from your childhood as to, you know, how you've ended up where you are now? What, so what were you like? Oh, goodness. So I'm a middle child. I've got two sisters, elder sister who's 18 months older and a younger sister, five years older. And that, my position in my family is pretty a big drive of my personality. I think my poor elder sister got totally like, I was snapping at her heels <laughs> from a young age. I was taller than her. You know, I'm six foot tall and she, you know, and I grew really quickly and I was snapping at her heels. You know, I feel for her. I feel for her. Um, but relatively introverted as a kid, you know, I would, you know, reading books, I was very shy. And people who know me now would, would not really get that impression. In fact, when I was, I asked a friend of mine and she was like, yeah, you've managed to transform yourself into an extrovert. And I think, I think that's through working in advertising. Yeah. Do you think that was a conscious thing? Absolutely. I mean, I was so in awe when I got into advertising of the sort of the high energy sort of salesman, saleswoman type personality, you know, that big thinking, that high energy, the resilience, the, you know, and I, I really wanted to be more like that. So I just pushed myself into loads of situations that scared the crap out of me, um, you know, really scared me, like, speaking at conferences, pushing myself forward for PR interviews, going on TV. And it never ceases to make me anxious. But it's it's that sort of good anxious, I think, that spurs you forward. I know what you mean. Yeah, and keeping, keeping it on that side of good anxious. <laughs> it's funny, actually. I feel like in our industry, I, I remember I put a recent LinkedIn post about being an ambivert. Um, which is, you know, some people call it sort of extroverted, introvert and needing to have that balance. And it was almost like I sort of outed myself as an ambivert and lots of people were adding to the comments. I, I think there's more of us in this industry than you'd imagine, but perhaps lots of people have been masking that and sort of just thinking that you need to be more extrovert in our industry. Yeah, no, I, th I think you're absolutely right. And you know, I just have to be a researcher or a data science to work in Africa. <laughs> And when you were when you were little, did you have any sense of knowing what you wanted to be when you grew up? None, none. I wanted to be a punk, and I think that's there's something about me that wants to be cooler than I am. Like I, I think we I all do. I, I was about five when I wanted to be a punk. I just wanted a really cool Mohican and like some studs on my forehead. Uh, yeah, I just think I wanted to be cooler. And, you know, there's something about the ad industry, isn't there, about it being a very cool and a marketing, just being, you know, the cool kids on the block. And, you know. Were there people that you that you looked up to, I guess, both as a child and now, actually, anyone who's sort of given you that support or, or influence in your career? Oh, loads of people. So firstly, my, my father, who, um, you know, he gave me the hardworking ethic, uh, but he's also a very kind man. So he also valued people. He never fired anyone. And he, you know, it really hurt him to do anything like that. So he was very kind and very hardworking. So I think I get some of that from him. Uh, my mother's very good at pulling people together. And I get my impish sense of humour from my grandmother because she was an imp. Um, <laughs> she was fabulous. Born in completely, she was born a century too 
too early, I think. She'd have been amazing in today's world. And then throughout my career, I've had amazing support from so many people, um, from, you know, people who stand out. Marie Oldham, who was my boss for many years at Lee Burnett and Havas, she was just very supportive of me. You know, she understood... She understood the emotion versus, you know, the drive and the emotion piece probably better than I did. And she was very helpful in, and supportive in that, you know. And I mean, I've had some brilliant bosses. Mark Palmer at BMP was fabulous about expanding my thinking. You know, I had a great boss at Host Europe Group, Patrick Pulvermuller, who was fantastic at German. Um, he was just fantastic at the you know, who's so good at running businesses and building value and doing it in a way, in a very inclusive, wonderful way. Um, so I've learned so much from so many people. And just thinking about our industry, I know because Kate, you and I have sort of talked about this before, but I know you've got some strong opinions on our industry and how marketing can be a bit of a, a scapegoat. Do you want to tell me a little bit more about that and share that with, with the listeners? So I'm in a group called the CMO and Marketing Directors Forum. And one of the guys put a post on LinkedIn of him riding a unicorn shitting rainbows. <laughs> uh, and he said, this is what it's like to be in marketing in startups at the moment. Like the pressure of, you know, let's, buy, let's bring in marketing and everything is going to work better. But let's not look at product. Let's not look at customer service. Let's not look at sales. Let's just wave the magic wand that is marketing and it'll fix everything. And I think I see that across the board. And that isn't that I think marketing should be in a corner. So I'm definitely of the belief that marketing drives revenue. It's a value driver of the business, but it isn't the only unicorn in town. Hmm. And it works best as an integrated system. So actually, the quickest thing, if you work in a B2B organization, the quickest way marketing can make a difference is make sure the leads are managed properly with sales. So it's an absolutely integrated process between sales. I've seen pricing drive, you know, conversion rates from 5% to 15% in some online subscription brands not naming any names, right? So you can play with so many different things, but you have to play with the four Ps, right? And I think I think what's happened in marketing is it's got so complex with the rise of digital systems. So you're like, oh my God, I've got to learn TikTok and figure out how that fits in. And oh, Meta, I was really good at it and it wasn't great, but now it's amazing. I've got to like refocus on Meta and now I've got to figure out backlinks and building backlinks and blah, blah, blah. So it's got very fragmented and very expert that people have forgotten the sort of four P's mm-hmm. of actually it's a system, right? You've got to have a product that people want. Someone once told me that the best way to kill a bad product is amazing marketing because you get a lot of interest and you just, you can kill a bad product. So you've got to have a product that people want. Um, you've got to price it right. You've got to have it easily accessible in places where people are buying and then you promote it. And I think we've just got caught up in some of the, promotional aspects of it and are expecting a little bit too much from some of the marketing leaders that that that's sort of the, the thinking behind it you know can be a bit of a scapegoat it can be amazing it can be a real boost you can really superpower and supercharge your growth 
but it needs to be part of the system. And I think it is, as you know, this is why people like Mark Ritz and everyone gets very excited about listening to him because it brings everyone back to the, you know, the the, the basics as well. And uh, I, I think it's it's almost like there is a bit of a blame culture of you know if things are not going as as planned, you know, which department do we blame? But but you're right, it is about having an integrated approach and all working together. Yeah, absolutely. I saw Mark Ritson last week at the Festival of Marketing. I thought that was, yeah, he had some really interesting things to say. I I, I love his honesty. Yeah. Um, but he had some really practical things to say about modern marketing. Yeah. And so what is the biggest challenge? You know, you're the CMO of a, a scale-up. How does it differ? You know, what's what's your, your biggest challenge? So I think the, the biggest challenge is twofold so there's so many things you could do there's so many things in marketing that you could choose to do and there's so many people in an organization who love and love telling you a good idea I'll tell you what Kay if we do x I think this will turn our fortunes around or if we do y you know I think you should really put some focus on you do need to put plate spinning you do need to test a lot of things but I think the the real challenge is not over not putting too many plates in the air at the same time that some of them mm. so even if some of them crash you can't see it you've just you know you've lost it they're behind you right you can't see the crash so it's having a more measured approach to what you are testing you know and if you are doing a pricing test do a proper pricing test and let it run for a, a month if you are changing the homepage copy make sure that it's not doing anything worse than your current homepage. So be really precise about the changes you make and put in place a measurement plan so you can track everything through to what the business value is about. And, you know, in scale up and startups, it's going to be new revenue. Mm. Now, marketing isn't just about customer acquisition. It can play a role in customer retention. It can play a role in managing managing the churn. But you need to be really purposeful about where it's playing a role and how you can position marketing as a value driver. So it's that, really. It's being choiceful. And being choiceful means measurement. And, being, and measurement involves lots of getting under the bonnet with a spanner and you know, if you're in B2B, it's playing in the CRM system. If you're B2C, it's really understanding your Google Analytics and your conversion path. It, it's getting in with a spanner and fixing stuff and rolling your sleeves up. And and is that what drives you, the kind of like the data, the, the, the detail? You know, what what is your sweet spot? My sweet spot, it's, the, it's actually not, it's the narrative. I think my sweet spot is really understanding the narrative about what drives a company's growth. And understanding why customers buy and thinking about that narrative in all different formats, be that a press release or a social. I do gravitate towards PR because I think it's a very um, wonderful channel for exploring narratives. But, you know, you can't just play in narratives alone in a scale up. You have to link it to the results and measurement and how that plays out on the on new revenue one or the bottom line so you do have to you know work across the piece but yeah I think my energy comes from storytelling and 
figuring that piece of the puzzle out. Yeah, yeah, I, I can definitely imagine that. And are you able to share with us some of the things that you're working on with in, in Brightbid or, or kind of the future? Because you're in the, you know, mention AI, you're just like in, in, the, in the hot area. So um, is, is there anything that you can share with us? Yeah, well, so we both use AI in our tool. So we have an AI engine that makes Google search and Google shopping work better. So we, that means we're using the large language models to fire lots of tests. We've got an unsupervised machine learning model that fires A-B tests at bid optimization. So you can adjust your bids based on different customer segments. Um, we use all the data that Google and Bing have and just apply more tests. So it gives a bit more transparency for a lot of customers. You hand over, if you use some of the platform tools like Google's and Bing's, you hand over a lot of your control and you, and it, that's great if it's going right but if it starts going wrong you don't know how to change things because you've given up you know and google do tend to say just spend more or <laughs> or give it six months so those are two things when you're at the sharp end of a marketing team spending more on something that isn't working or just waiting six months is very hard so we give people a bit more explainability and we've just launched this really interesting new product that links um, google shopping to amazon listings so you can't do that anywhere else at the moment and we have our AI automation engine that will say hey do you know what do a test see if see if moving it to Amazon listings versus your direct to consumer shop is better what's the better ROI on your ad spend and start testing it so, so that's kind of a, a fun thing and then in terms of what we do so I'm on a, a small marketing team across four markets we're in Sweden Norway Denmark and the UK and we're using all the AI tools to really empower our output so I tend to find so there's an amazing case study that came out last week two weeks ago where Boston Consulting Group gave that to their consultants AI tools just chat GPT and said come back they found 25% efficiency savings and I don't think we'd think that's I don't think that's a surprise but mm-hmm. it's 45% quality improvement that they were all surprised about and I think that's because the AI stuff gets the gets the grunt work, the, the non, gets the sort of non-human stuff out of the way and then humans can spend finessing, getting it mm-hmm. so much better. So you're 80% of the way there and then 20% you're finessing it. But if Boston Consultancy can make it work, then marketing teams have to find a way forward. So we use it, you know, we've written our homepage on it. We link and tested what it came out with. We link... We use a design tool called Figma and we link all the Google translations so you could write it in English and then it translates it to Swedish and Norwegian and Danish automatically. I was <laughs> I was getting some T-shirts for an event last week and we'd bought loads of Viking hats because we thought it'd be fun. It was a London event and I wanted some T-shirt slogans. I put into chat GPT, give me a good T-shirt slogan and they came up with conquer PPC like an AI Viking. <laughs> And that was, you know, that's a pretty good slogan. Saved me loads of time thinking it through. Um, we use it for, we don't write the finished article. And I'll be honest, I get, I am getting a bit allergic to B2B emails that I receive in my inbox written by chat. If it says unleash or transform, I don't yeah. open it because chat GPT has written trans, unleash and transform. Or, or reimagine. Reimagine. <laughs> right, yeah, I am a... a I am guilty of reimagining. I like reimagining. <laughs> <laughs> subject headline, right? Um, so we do we do test it. 
it can be a bit verbose and then we 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 cut that down we use ai for all our sales meetings so we can send coaching tips for the sales guys in the meeting you know so we are sort of quite advanced users of it and there's you know amazing things you can do in e-commerce and creative when you know you can take an awful lot of cost out of the business by you know product descriptions with ai and product pictures and imagery I mean, I did spend, I did waste an hour of my life trying to get a picture on mid-journey of a camel and a unicorn in a desert. (laughs) Did you find one in the end? (laughs) It was either two camels or two unicorns or like a mix of like a uni camel. (laughs) A camelicorn. And I was like, oh my God, it would have been quicker. Like, could I have got a picture in Photoshop? Maybe. It genuinely took me an hour. I did find Dali 2, I think, is better than Mid Journey for me at the moment because Mid Journey, uh, and if you've ever played doing creative imagery with some of these tools, they're terrible on text and they're terrible at taking like really specific instructions, even if you use a prompt generator um, tool. But anyway, yeah, I did get it in the end. It's on LinkedIn. Anyone Fabulous. So we're going to move on to the, the the final section of the podcast now, Kate, where we ask some more general quickfire questions to help our listeners to get to know you a bit better. So I'll start with a nice easy one. What's your idea of a perfect weekend? Oh, do you know what? Forcing my kids to spend time with me and my <laughs> family, shared food and board games. Like they, they all buy me board games for presents, but I'm, I love forcing a you know, a game of risk, actually not risk and not monopoly, <laughs> a game of 221B on, on everyone. But yeah, shared food, shared friends, family and friends. Yeah, risk risk and monopoly is a guaranteed argument really, isn't it? It is a bit, um, yeah, risk. Man, not with two teenage boys. <laughs> if you were stuck on a desert island and you could only listen to one song for the rest of your life, what would that song be? Oh my God, so I was thinking about this. So I've got my funeral playlist uh, already set up on my husband's wow. Spotify, just in case, right? Um, and Jerusalem always makes it on there. So I, I'm never bored of that song and it always sends shivers down my spine, but it always makes me sad. So I'm not entirely sure that's a good Desert Island one, but you know, it's definitely one that I never tire of listening to. Which version is it? Oh, I don't mind which version. Right, Okay. So I, I love that attention to detail, actually, of, of having funeral your Spotify playlist. funeral list, actually. Yeah. Oh, think. yeah. It includes quite a lot of share and house music. So we're planning quite a fun one. Nice. <laughs> I feel like that's a whole other conversation that maybe we won't have on the podcast. <laughs> uh, what's one of your bucket list travel destinations? Oh, so I've, I've been to Japan on my own for, um, I did an MBA through the Berlin School of Creative Leadership and we went to Japan and it was eye-opening it's such a different culture and I want to take the kids there and my husband um, because it's just a wonderful different place to go it's so you know it's odd it's just very odd for British people or Europeans to go to Japan and it's so interesting yeah now next question is one that Wendy and I tend to fight over and, and you'll understand <laughs> why. I won this time um, yeah, it's my favorite question how would you fare in a zombie apocalypse? Oh, do you, this is the same as the desert island. Do you ever need a marketing 
strategist on a, on a, in a zombie apocalypse <laughs> or on a desert island or do you want an ambulance driver or you know an ambulance <laughs> or a doctor I, really badly and whenever I watch them I'm like oh god just go quick right just be yeah. the one who's the first to be cut down and your head chopped <laughs> off and and just make it don't don't string it out because you're going to die anyway um so you might as well go quick happily in the early in the early stages but unfortunately, now you've put that into my head of like, how would a marketer do? It's like I'm now thinking of like how you could kind of change the narrative, have like a, a zombie fest, and get people to go and and not actually try and kill. So how do you stop zombies killing people? Sorry, I'll I'll stop now and let Wendy ask her question. How would your friends describe you? Oh, this was my. So I spent Sunday morning with the coffee in the papers te- whatsapping my friends going I'm on a podcast <laughs> tell me <laughs> so this was what they came up with and it was like oh one of them even went oh it's a bit cringe you sure you're gonna say that <laughs> uh, so I don't know so they, they, they it ranges from fiercely clever and hard-working fun but and the memory of an elephant and I, I actually can remember so many things from you know, the people are like, oh, did I go out with that guy? And I'm like, yeah, 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 you totally did. It lasted about three weeks. And... <laughs> um, what else have I got? Yeah, I think yeah, fun loving appeared quite high. You know, I, I do have party wings and they still come out occasionally, but adaptable, enthusiastic. I think it's another it's another choice I made, which was always to be positive and always to be enthusiastic and always try to see the best in the situations. I don't always live up to it. But I try because I think there's choices in life, aren't there? Mm-hmm. And that one's just so much easier to make than the other one, which is a negative one. Yeah, so much more fun. So much more fun to live with yourself if you're focused on the positive. And then a couple of ones I liked, which, you know, left field, kind and intuitive. I will always try to be kind. And again, maybe I haven't lived up to that all all the time. But it's it's a good value to hold and to to manage and this was a good one from someone I used to work with simultaneously tough but soft and actually my kids will say the same right <laughs> tough but soft I am actually a bit marshmallowy when I if, if, if I, <laughs> it comes it comes down to it I love that I, I would suspect uh, that you've got your uh, grandmother's impish nature as well impish humor as well yeah, yeah. <laughs> you've not seen this tomorrow but also expressive dancer came out Ooh. Oh, fantastic. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Okay, well, we need to see that another time. <laughs> and what is your favourite restaurant or food experience? Uh, I went to an amazing restaurant. So Havas was headquartered in Barcelona for part of when I worked for it. And they knew that all the best restaurants in Barcelona. And we went to one that didn't have a... It was about 10 of us. My husband was with us. 10 uh, global strategists from all over the world. And we went to this restaurant without a name and it was a fish restaurant and they just bought loads of carver and different fish dishes and it lasted about four hours and it was genius. And I didn't get the name of it because every time I go back to Barcelona, I'm like, that was the best restaurant I ever went to. Oh my God, I can't believe that you don't know. I feel like we should try and hunt that restaurant down though. I know, it's sort of near the dock somewhere, but set back a bit. It wasn't quite on the docks. It was amazing. 
need to find your your super memory needs to come in here yeah. right, working out exactly where you were and then someone will tell you i know hopefully maybe someone in this podcast knows <laughs> so uh we've got the expressive dance but what is your karaoke go-to song oh to be fair it does link to my expressive dance it's wuthering heights by kate bush oh amazing Fantastic. yeah there was a, there's a set of actions that go with that and she she climbs through a window and it's a good one so have a little think about that if you if you ever meet me. See, I, I can um, connect with you on that one that I, I think you know that I sing in this uh, choir, in the Natural Voices Choir. And uh, the choir was part of a, a huge flash mob that was done uh, that was essentially everyone dressed up in a red dress. Didn't matter whether you usually wear dresses or not. Everyone was wearing a red dress and uh, singing and dancing to Wuthering Heights. And it was quite a spectacle oh wow i've seen that on youtube actually there's an australian <laughs> version of that lots of um yeah all genders exactly in red dresses it's just, brilliant it's just a wonderful wonderful thing oh can you send so, me did you video it can you send it to me <laughs> i would too. so we've come to the end of the podcast so i just want to check is there anything we've covered expressive dance we've covered marketing the future of marketing ai is there anything that you wish that we had asked you or if not, I want to give you the opportunity to have the platform and and share any closing thoughts. No, I don't think there's anything I wish. Is there anything you wish you asked me? I don't think there's anything I wish you asked me. I, I'm just on the side of, I guess my closing thoughts is don't put marketing in the corner. Don't put baby in the corner, right? We all need to have in our mind's eye why businesses are choosing marketing, and always manage to dance that tightrope because I think you can go a little bit too revenue focused. Like it's not all about revenue, but there again, it's not all about brand narrative. So it's it's dancing that tightrope of where we can really drive business value. You've been listening to Genuine Humans, brought to you by The Social Element. If you loved what you heard, remember to subscribe or you can find out more at www.thesocialelement.agency.